joy to the world. That is why Jesus came. Welcome tonight to this Christmas Eve celebration. Welcome to Jubilee Fellowship Church. We are delighted that you are with us. I was thinking on my way here today about a, uh, something that Julius Caesar said. You know, I think about things like that all the time, well, especially with Google. But anyway, uh, he said, Vine, vide, vinci. And you may not know what that meant, but you may know the very similar saying that Subway came out with a few years ago that says, Vine, vide, veggie, which is, I came, I saw, and I ate a salad. But actually what Julius Caesar said was, I came, I saw, and I conquered. He said that in uh, 47 AD. But you know what? The truth is, Jesus came, left the glory of heaven. He saw the plight that we were in. He saw that we needed a Savior, and he conquered sin. He conquered death, and he came to bring us life. Are you thankful for that tonight? Amen. What's awesome is that we also... Can come. We can come here from north, south, east, and west, whether you're a rancher, whether you're a rocker, whether you're a loner, or whether you're a laker. Uh, we're all here gathered for one purpose, and that is to come to see the beauty of Jesus and to give him honor and glory tonight. We just invite you to worship him as we sing some Christmas carols tonight. Let's give the very best of our hearts to Jesus today. All right. Hey, are you enjoying the string quartet here? Isn't that cool? It's the Chezza String Quartet. Thank you guys for joining us. And since we got them, you know, there's nothing like singing uh, Christmas songs with the string quartet. So why don't we do a little bit of that? Is that okay? All right, here we go. Y'all sing real nice and loud and pretty, okay? Hark the herald angels sing glory to on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise, join the triumph of the skies. Let the jackals proclaim, Christ is born in Child. 
Amen. Hey, turn around and just greet someone before you have a seat, would you? We have a story for you. How many of you are children at heart? It's Christmas Eve. For sure, you should be a child at heart. I want to say something. On the way out, we have a very nice display that matches this story. We have a gift for all the kids, some Christmas gummy bears. So please be sure on your way out to stop by and have that. So we're, we're doing this story mostly for the kids, but we found out the adults kind of like it too. So we hope you enjoy it. It's called the King's Christmas List. When Emma's daddy built the playhouse, an amazing thing happened. Because you see, sometimes when a parent's love is woven in the wooden paint of a playhouse and then mixed just right with a child's imagination, a door is opened. It's a door to a world simply known as the kingdom. It all began for Emma and her dog, Shushu, when they were decorating the playhouse for Christmas. Suddenly, Emma heard a voice behind her. How did you make the mailbox shine like the Christmas star? Before Emma could even wonder about the voice, she turned around and sure enough, the mailbox was glowing. Emma raced to the mailbox, but she was afraid to touch it. Finally, she looked inside. A flash, dazzling light hit her, and she saw a beautiful golden letter. Emma tore open the envelope. It's an invitation from the king. It says, to the honorable lady Emma and her gentle dog, Shushu, you are hereby invited to the king's birthday party. His royal Christmas celebration. We can meet the king. Wait a minute. Shushu, you can talk? No, it's just that now you can finally understand me. Oh, this is all so strange. The king has invited us to his birthday party. We need to give him a present. But what can we give the king? Bark. Hmm. Come on, let's go look for something in the playhouse. Back inside, Emma saw the special Christmas cake she had made with her mom. What about the cake? That's a great idea. But it looks delicious. Don't you want to eat it? Well, yes. But I'd rather give it to the king. The cake is special because we made it. And the king will love it. A carriage sent from the king for Lady Emma and her gentle dog, Shushu. Mark, the king's carriage is here for us. For us? Oh, hurry, Shu, let's go. She grabbed her new Christmas cape and, of course, Mary Bear. She didn't go anywhere without Mary Bear. As they climbed into the beautiful carriage, Emma stared in wonder. It's like a whole new world has appeared. Nay! <laughs> Welcome, my friends. Hold on tight. And with that, they set off on their adventure. A new world opened before them as the playhouse disappeared behind them. They could see mountains rising along the road in the distance. The air was cold and deliciously fresh. Emma and Shushu were snuggling in the carriage when suddenly it screeched to a halt. Emma looked down to see what made them stop. There, trying to cross the road, was an old woman with her arm around a young boy who was shivering in the cold. Oh, please, pardon us. My grandson is very cold, and I'm trying to find some place where he will be warm. Emma felt terrible seeing the poor boy shivering on the cold winter day. It's all right, ma'am, said the horse. But we've got to go now. We're off to the king's castle. Wait, before we go, please take my Christmas cape. It will keep your grandson warm. And... Emma looked at her beautiful cake, the one she wanted to give to the king, but the woman and the boy looked so hungry. Please take this cake, too. You both need something to eat. Oh, no, we couldn't do that. I insist. Bark, bark! Yes, take the cake. With that, Emma climbed down and handed the cake to the woman. Then she wrapped the Christmas cape around the little boy's shoulder. The boy looked so much warmer, Seeing the delicious cake, he said, Thank you, Emma. As the horse bolted toward the castle, Emma wondered, How did he know my name? 
As the countryside flew by, they came to a bridge over a rushing river, and Emma heard a child crying. <laughs> Where is that coming from? Bark! It sounds like it's coming from the bridge. Oh no! Let's stop and see if we can help. The pair climbed down from the carriage and walked to the bridge. A mother and father were trying to comfort their daughter. When they saw Emma and Shushu, they said, "Her teddy bear fell into the river and it's gone." Oh no! Well, Emma put her arm around the girl. She was younger than Emma, and her clothes were old and worn. That bear was probably her only toy. Emma cringed inside. She felt that she should give the girl her Mary Bear, but how could she? Mary Bear was her favorite toy. It will be okay, because because I need you to take care of my Mary Bear. Can you do that for me? Yes, I I think I can. Shushu, run and get Mary Bear. Okay. He darted for the carriage, excited to be able to help. When they left, the little girl was holding Mary Bear close. As the carriage pulled away, the family waved and said, "Thank you, Emma and Shushu." Shu, how do they know our names? Finally, they arrived at the castle. Emma and Shushu thanked the horse, walked up to the grand doors, which opened all by themselves. As they walked in, the court announcer said. Welcome, Lady Emma and her honorable, gentle dog Shushu. Well, they were still shaking hands when a fanfare trumpet shook the room. <laughs> hear ye, hear ye! All hail the High King! Let the royal Christmas celebration begin. Then the king entered in his shining Christmas robes. Emma and Shushu stared at him in amazement as he took his throne for his birthday party. Something cool happened. All the guests started giving gifts to each other, but no one gave a gift to the king. This is the strangest birthday party ever. Bark! Yeah, even I get gifts on my birthday, and I'm just a pup. Come on, let's ask the king. Shushu! Emma tried to stop the little dog, but all she could do was run after him. But the king seemed to expect them and said, "Welcome, Lady Emma and the Honorable Shushu. I understand you have a question for me." Well, we see everyone giving gifts to each other, but Christmas is your birthday, and this is your party. Why isn't anyone giving you a gift? Is it different for a king? Well, now it is a little different, and that's the reason I invited you here today. Really? Yes. You see, because Christmas is such a special day, people celebrate by giving lots of gifts. But over the years, people got so busy giving gifts to each other that they forgot that I too love a Christmas gift given from the heart. Oh, King, we had a gift for you. We brought you a cake, but I know, my dear Emma. With a wave of his hand, the family, the grandmother, and her grandson appeared, clothed in glowing white. Are they angels? Yes, I sent them out to look for the true spirit of Christmas. And they found it in you. The king lifted Emma up upon his knee and said, "You see, by sharing your favorite things with them, you showed my people how to give me a Christmas gift. For I do have a Christmas list, but many have forgotten it. Anyone who desires to give me a gift, behold, give food to the hungry and clothes to the cold, give care to the poor, both young and old. Whatever gift you've given to a person in need." Is indeed a gift you have given unto me. You mean by giving to others, we're actually giving you a present? That's right, my precious child. It takes a lot of love and courage to share the things that are dear to you. When you stopped to help others on your way to the castle today, you showed them what my love looks like. The king opened his arms wide for a great big hug, and my love for them. And for you is so big; it's the greatest Christmas present of all. The end. The end. Okay, let's take a look. Is one better? Um. Or is two better? Two for sure. Okay, great. Let's take another look. Is one better? Or two. Two.
Christmas. Merry Christmas. I've been watching. This is our third service now uh, this evening, and uh, by far, you are the best-looking service that has come into this building. Just want to let you know that. Hey, um, we are so excited about 2012. This next series, Eye Exam, is going to be a great series. It'd be a good opportunity for you to invite any friends or family that you might want to come out for that series. Uh, we're kicking it off the first weekend in January, and we hope that you will come and, and bring others with you. Hey, a few housekeeping things that we need to take care of. Uh, 2011 was an incredible year at Jubilee Fellowship, and it was uh, mainly because of your faithfulness in regards to uh, your tithes and offerings and, and the things that we were able to do. We had our best year ever, and I want to just say thank you so much for your faithfulness in regards to that. As we head into 2012, as many of you know, we're going to be doing our Lakewood campus. We have several other projects, and so we just ask that you would continue to uh, go before the Lord and ask Him uh, what you should give in your tithes and offering, and just keep responding in obedience uh, and, and faithfulness in that. Uh, One thing that I need to bring up is that this is our last full weekend of 2011. And so if you want tax credit, any uh, tithes or offerings need to be in by the 31st, which is Saturday next week. So it's kind of a funny weekend next weekend because Saturday is 2011 and Sunday is 2012. So again, if you want tax credit, the money has to be at one of the campuses by the end of Saturday, uh, the 31st. We're going to pray for our offering. Again, just thank you so much for your faithfulness, but but would you join me in praying for that? And just a quick reminder, the boxes are on your way out in the hallway. You can place your tithes and offerings as you leave today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your faithfulness and the fact that you use us to accomplish the work that you're doing in your kingdom. And we thank you, uh, God, that you speak to us directly and individually. And we ask that you speak to our hearts what we should give in our tithe and offering. And God, we do so with just glad and joyful hearts. We ask that you would multiply our tithe, multiply our offerings. And God, I pray that you would use them to work whatever you're going to do in your kingdom, not only in this community, but throughout the entire world. And we thank you for that in your name. And everybody said, amen. Well, we're going to spend a little time right now worshiping our Lord and Savior Jesus. So would you please stand with us? And I just just want to encourage you, sing out with all of your heart to Jesus. Spread out your arms over empty space. Said that there be light to a dark and formless world. Your light was born. And you spread out your arms over empty hearts. Said that there be light to a dark and hopeless world. Your son was born. You made the world and saw that it was good. You sent your only son for you.
tonight we lift you up in this place we thank you Lord that you are so far above everything 
not just this earth, but the universe and everything that was made in the heavens. And Lord, because of that too, we thank you that you are over everything that's going on in our lives. Your name is above it all. Your power is greater than anything that we're facing right now in our lives or will face. So Lord, we just come to you as the supreme, as the ultimate, as the one, as the answer, the great I am, the one who is and will be to come. Knowing, Lord God, not only that you are all of those things, but you are so focused in on each of our hearts in such a unique, personal way. So, Lord, we just turn our hearts to you in this place. And we say, Lord, come have your way in our lives. Do your thing, Lord, in us even tonight, even on Christmas Eve 2011, 5 o'clock service. Lord, you can do stuff. So we open our hearts to you and ask you to have your way Reveal your love to us. Reveal your grace to us. Reveal your power to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. You all can have a seat. glad you're here. I know everybody else has had a chance to say Merry Christmas, but let me say it too. Merry Christmas. Hope you have a good night tonight, great day tomorrow. Uh, don't know um, how, how you're feeling right now. Um, about about 3.30 this afternoon, seemed like depression started setting in on me. Um, I, I just, last, last two weekends have been difficult. Anybody else found that to be, be true? If you don't know what I'm talking about, you, Yeah, the Broncos, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Today, if, you're, if you've taped it, don't watch it. Yeah, just, just, I'm not trying to spoil anything. I'm actually your friend. My name's John. Don't watch it. Here's, last Sunday actually was a more difficult day. I, I think with the media hype over the past two weeks, and I, you know, I don't think Tim Tebow had anything to do with it, but I think the national media took the Broncos and made such a story out of it over that, that time, and, and it just turned into such a runaway freight train. I, I got caught up in it, and I thought for sure, man, they were going to win and set themselves up, and I, I, what, what huge disappointment. And um, so I, I did this. I thought, how do I make myself feel any better about that game? And so I found this really good joke. Laughter's the best medicine, they say, right? So I've got this joke, and here's my Christmas joke. Tom Brady, after living a full life, died. That's not the joke. <laughs> when he got to heaven, God was showing him around. They came to a modest little house with a faded patriot flag in the window. This house is yours for eternity, Tom, God said. This is very special. Not everyone here gets a house. Tom felt really special as he walked up the walkway to his house. On his way up to the front door, he noticed another house just around the corner, and it was huge. A three-story mansion with orange and blue sidewalks, orange and blue driveway, a 50-foot-tall flagpole with an enormous Bronco flag flying, a swimming pool in the shape of a horse, a Bronco logo in every window, and most importantly, a Tim Tebow jersey nailed to the front door. Tom Brady looked at God and said, God, I'm not trying to be ungrateful, but I have a question for you. The Lord said, what is it, Tom? Well, I was an all-pro QB. I won three Super Bowls. I even went to the Hall of Fame, and we beat the Broncos. God said, what's your point, Tom? Why does Tim Tebow get a better house than I do then? God chuckled and said, that's not Tim's house. That's my house, Tom. (laughs) 
<laughs> so you feel a little better now? Something about it just, just helps. <laughs> hey, our, uh, our series wraps up tonight, and uh, it's called Vintage Christmas. I actually started it a couple of weeks ago, the 1st of December, and I used Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 as the text. And what I said that uh, week was that on Christmas Eve, I would finish up the message, so it's a part two. Now, this is a really familiar passage of Scripture. Even if you're not a believer, it's used uh, so often at this time of year. It was a prophetic Scripture that Isaiah actually wrote 800 years before the birth of Christ. So the Scripture itself is about 2,800 years old. And it's a proclamation about Jesus. It's such a famous portion of Scripture that Handel, when he wrote the Messiah, and I'm sure you're familiar with that beautiful piece of music, used this scripture as the basis of inspiration for it. Isaiah 9, 6 reads this way, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah. It's better than a Tebow joke. Here's the, here's the thing. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I took the first three names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, and I taught about, uh, taught about them in that message and would just say this. If you, after hearing tonight, are interested in going back to hear part one, maybe you didn't hear it, maybe you're visiting, here's how you could pick up that message. Our website is jfc.org. And everything that we teach and all of our resources are on our website and they're always free. So you could go back and download the message or listen to it directly from the website. But tonight we're going to go into part two and I'm going to talk about Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. In order to build a little bit of a bridge though to the message, what I tried to teach a couple of weeks ago was the importance of names. Whenever the Bible takes the opportunity to introduce us to the names of God, it's really key that you pay attention to that for this reason. Names are more than names. You and I, as Americans, Westerners, we we don't get the same understanding of names like they did in the Bible. Uh, Hebrews, uh, a a name was a little Hebrew sentence, like John. John meant in Hebrew, gift from God. So whenever my name would have been said, they literally would have been saying, gift from God. Gift from God, sit down. Gift from God, go to bed. Gift from God, quit touching your sister. However, they would have repeated over and over again, the little Hebrew sentence of his name. And this is the reason it's important. The belief in the Bible was that you could take a child and from the earliest time, you could begin to call forth the destiny. You could call forth the purpose. You could speak over the child what God had for them. And by saying it over and over again, you would remind them, trigger, or call forth the identity that God had for them. And in fact, here's really what you were doing. You were calling on the divine to enter into this world and to act with his favor upon the life of a child. Well, does it even work? Well, let me give you a little bit of psychology. If you take a child and you tell that child every day how stupid they are by the time they become an adult, yes or no, they develop an identity. Well, the same thing is true in the positive way. You take a child and begin to tell them over and over the importance of the child. Or in particular, you tell them God's purpose and plan for their life. By the time they hit adolescence, especially when they become an adult, boy, you have set forth the opportunity for them to walk into something that's really dramatic. It's really powerful. Uh, Chris and I, early on, we didn't get how important names were, at least asking God about names. We've got five kids, and I'm going to tell you the truth. The first three, here's how we named our first three children. Our oldest one, Amy, how many of you remember Pure Prairie League, the the band? Anybody in here remember? They had a song called Amy. Anybody remember that song? Amy, what you going to do? Two of us, Rich and me. I know you're lying right now, and it doesn't make you unholy to listen to Pure Prairie League. Yes or no? Have you ever heard the song before? We, we, I don't know what it was. That song was really popular right about the time Chris and I got married. And so we were listening to that song, and we had to pick the name for it. Maybe we even conceived during that song. I don't know. But regardless, it was a popular song. And we liked the way that Amy was spelled, A-M-I-E. So we picked our oldest child's name based on Pure Prairie League, Amy. Brent, my second child, how did we get his name? The most popular kid in my high school's name was Brent. And so I thought by naming my son Brent, I would give him a head start. And he'd be popular in school. Katie, 
our middle child, where did we get her name? Well, we thought that Kathleen Elizabeth sounded very fancy, very formal, and we liked the name Katie, so we named her Katie. And we were going to stop at three, but before we could make it final, Chris got pregnant. She came home one day and she said, hey, John, I'm pregnant, and here was the deal. We thought it was number four, but after about three or four months, she came home and she brought a bag with her, and inside the bag were two bottles, two bibs, two rattles, and she says, do you know what this means? And I said, you got a two-for-one sale, and what is the deal? She said, no, we're having twins. It was exciting. We went from three to five, literally overnight. It was an important deal. And how did we name our two sons? Well, originally, we picked out the name Michael and Matthew. That's what we were going to name our twins. And where did we get those names from? They're good biblical names, but we didn't understand any meaning behind them. We just thought, hey, they're neat names. We'll call them Michael and Matthew. And here was the story. Almost 19 years ago to the night, my wife was great with children. She was pregnant. She, right after Christmas, went to the doctor for a checkup, and I got a call at work, and she said, you need to come to the hospital right now because the kids are in stress, and they're going to induce me for labor right now. And we went from thinking that we had a couple of months left to instantly I'm driving over, and we're going to have our two twins, our two sons. Got to the hospital, and everything started out fine. They began to induce her, and the first one came. He was early. It was... David, here was the problem. We were going to call him Michael. Michael was going to be born, and and he came out. He was a few pounds light, but everything was fine. He was crying, and the doctor took him and put him in an incubator. The second one, right before he was born, turned breech, and the cord got wrapped around his neck, and he quit breathing. And from the time that they could get him and bring him to, I guess, this oxygen level, he was, he was without oxygen for quite some time. I remember a doctor looked at me and actually said, Mr. Leach, this isn't good. He's been without oxygen for a long time. You know, in that situation, it was a panic. They put Chris to sleep. They literally opened her up. They took my son out. I've got one over here. The second one, I've got several doctors and nurses working on. In every place you could put a tube, they had a tube in him. And I remember looking at him and thinking, what happened to our perfect little world? It's gone so crazy all of a sudden. And I remember waiting with Chris and just praying, God, protect her and keep her safe. And one of the doctors came and told me, he said, Sir, you need to prepare your wife when she wakes up that this isn't good and we don't think your son is going to live. In fact, he said this, if he does live, the best you can expect is brain damage. And I remember thinking to myself, how am I going to tell her that when she wakes up? If it were you, what would you say to your wife in that circumstance? What words do you have? What can you think of? I remember waiting with her and looking at both of my sons and thinking, what am I going to do? And now I've condensed the story in a few minutes, but it was really a 36-hour ordeal. We were tired. We had gone through it. To make matters worse, I had pink eye during the (laughs) delivery. I remember walking over to David, looking down at him and thinking he's perfect and everything turned out really well. And I walked over to Daniel, and he didn't look good, and so many doctors were working on him, and it was such a frightening experience. And I looked at him, and this panic rose in my heart, and this is what I said to God. God, I'll trade places with him. I'll give you my life if you'll give me his. I remember thinking, I'll trade right now my life on this earth if you'll spare my son. You know, I didn't have, like that story told, any angels. I didn't have any twilight effect. I didn't have anything supernatural that went off. In fact, there was only one scripture I could remember. It was a scripture from Job, and the scripture went like this, even if he slays me, I'll still trust him. What a scripture to come to mind. And all I said to God was this, I will trust you in this situation. And I remember looking at my son and thinking, God, please don't let him die. I decided I was going to pray for him. So I went to put my hand on him, and a doctor and a nurse stopped me, and they said, you've got pink eye. And I said, he can't be any worse. (laughs) So I went ahead and put my hand in there. And I prayed a simple prayer, and the prayer just went like this. God, I trust you. Please touch my son. I was so tired. I went away from that. I went back to Chris. She woke up, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I didn't have the heart to tell her what had happened. 
I didn't know how to tell her what had happened. I didn't have the words to tell her what had happened. I laid down. I slept for a little while. I woke up. I thought, okay, I've got to go tell her, but I'm going to check on my son first so I can give a good report to her. I went and I checked on David. He was good to go. I went and I checked on Danny. And a nurse looked at me and she said, Mr. Leach, come here. And she said, we have done a brain scan on him. And I need to let you know, his brain is functioning absolutely normal. Now, 19 years later, I think they might have lied to me, to tell you the truth. (laughs) The truth of the matter is, I looked at her and I knew God had done something great. I went into my wife and I began to explain to her everything that had happened and what just took place with the nurse. And we watched over the next several days as God touched him and strengthened him and raised him up. And now here was the deal. The register came into the room and said, what are the names of your sons? We were gonna call them Michael and Matthew, but something miraculous had happened and I, for the first time, recognized God has a real purpose and plan and I'm going to name my children according to the purpose and plan. So I told the register, we need 24 hours before we can give them a name. So they called them Baby A and Baby B. (laughs) Baby A was really healthy, Baby B was recovering. I remember Chris and I got a book and we began to thumb through the book of names from the Bible and we were looking for names that we felt were appropriate for our two sons and what God was doing in their life. The first one we turned to was David. Here's what David means. David means friend. Son, you walked in my office last night. You sat on my couch. You, for 19 years, have been a friend to your dad. You're an easygoing kid. You're easy for me to talk to, you're easy for me to love, and you are my friend. I want you to know that. You. (laughs) Daniel means God is my savior. And I have told you this, since you were old enough to understand it, you exist on this earth today because God has a purpose and plan for your life that is like no other that I know, son. God has you here, and the only reason you're here is because he willed you to be here, and he spared your life. So we changed their names from Michael and Matthew to David and Daniel. And I have spoken the destiny of God over my sons and my daughters every day since then. Why, pastor, teach us about names? Folks, if you can grasp anything that I said just now, you begin to get a slight understanding of how important names are. When God begins to reveal himself according to names, it's because he wants us to experience him according to that name. When the Bible says he is wonderful, you are supposed to experience that he is a wonderful God. When the Bible says that he is a counselor, you are supposed to experience the fact that he wants to talk to you, he wants to advise you, he wants to speak to you. When the Bible says he is the mighty God, that means he is well able to enter into your situation and he can touch and do anything. The last two names that we deal with tonight, he is Father and he is Peace. You know, folks, in my notes, I wrote down, what does it mean when the Bible says an everlasting father? Everyone in this room has an opinion or a story about a father, good or bad. In 2012, it will be 27 years full-time that I've been in ministry. Here's what I've learned in 27 years. Everyone in this room has some type of an experience with a father. For some people, they have a wound that is so deep It is such a crippling thing that from the time they come into contact with that father, they're not able to overcome it. Some of you have had a great earthly father and you've been able to do a lot of really good things, but I'm going to say one thing really important to you. The reason God reveals himself as father is because he wants you to know him as the good and perfect father. When the Bible says everlasting father, I wrote down what a good father does. A good father is consistent in his love. A good father is unending in his friendship. A good father is unchanging in relationship. A good father is unconditional in his acceptance. 
The reason God reveals himself as a good father is because we are supposed to experience him as a good father. We're not supposed to know it from a distance or around Christmas or hear somebody else talk about it. God wants you to experience him as a good father. You know, the older I've gotten, my favorite stories in the Bible have changed. Mine used to be David and Goliath. Maybe because I like the idea of the little guy beating the big guy because I'm a little guy. But I think my favorite scripture today is the prodigal son. You remember the story? The two brothers and the younger one comes to the father and says, give me what I have coming. And I've taught my church over and over, if your sons ever come to you and say, give me what I have coming, how many of you know what to give them? Right away. You don't need to pray about it. The younger one in this situation walked up and said, I want my inheritance. And the Bible doesn't say why the father gave it to him, but he chose to give him his inheritance before he died. The younger took the money, immediately moved away from the father, and the Bible says he spent it on two things, prostitutes and riotous living. And as is the proverbial case, he ran out of money and he became hungry. And when he became hungry, he took a job feeding pigs. The Bible says he was so hungry that what he was feeding the pigs looked good to him and then he came to his senses and this is what he said, even the hired hands have it better with my father than I have it right now. So he said, I'm going to go home and the scripture records in Luke chapter 15 verse 20 what happens. The Bible says, so that son got up and went to his father but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. His father ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. When I say to you that this is my favorite scripture, I want you maybe to understand why. I think that when I read this scripture, it continually begins to change my mind about how God feels about me. You know, a lot of times I feel unworthy, and a lot of times I feel like I blow it, and a lot of times I feel like I'm so far away from God. But this story tells me this, the minute I make any move towards him, God runs to me. God's opinion of me is not indifferent. God's opinion of me, he's not out to get me. God's opinion of me, he's not disappointed. God knows everything, and guess what? He loves me anyway. God runs if we make any move towards him. And I say that in spite of the fact that so many of us with the earthly father experience project it this way, And it ends up messing up our relationship with God. And here God is trying to reveal himself as the perfect father that regardless of what we've gone through, God wants to come to your aid. The last name that the Bible reveals Christ by in this scripture is the Prince of Peace. I wrote down in my notes that we find ourselves living in a time of great uncertainty No one knows for sure what tomorrow is going to bring. Tuesday when the stock market opens up, how many of you know exactly what's going to happen? How about this? How many of you in 2011 have suffered in your 401k? It has been a dramatic year, yes or no? It has been a year that if we could figure out where things were and what was going on, I'm sure many of us would do many different things. Here's a quote by Ben Franklin that I hear thrown around a lot. Nothing is sure except death and what? Can I give you something that trumps Ben Franklin? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords says, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you regardless of the day and age. More certain than death and taxes is the love of God, the certainty of the Father, and the unconditional love that he has for us. You know, there's a a, a television show and I, I, I didn't put it in my notes. I don't know if you watch. It's called Gold Rush. Anybody in here watch this show? It's about a bunch of guys who moved from the continental United States up to Alaska to look for gold. And Chris and I have become addicted to this stupid show. <laughs> every week we watch in the hopes that these guys are finally going to find gold. And every week it's the same thing. They almost find gold and then wait till next week. And we've been watching them week after week after week doing all these things in Alaska. It's become really interesting. All of a sudden, I've got this heart. I want to go to Alaska and look for gold. (laughs) And as I do that, my wife is like, you're not going to Alaska. (laughs) You know, I was reading the newspaper a couple of weeks ago, and I read a story about a father and a son that went to Alaska on a fishing trip. And they were on a plane that could land and take off from the water, and they were taking off from the water and the plane had engine trouble, and it dipped to the right, and the wing caught the water, and it spun out. And both the pilot and the father and the son were able to get out of the airplane, but they were wearing waders. 
And the son's waders filled up with water. And the dad was able to get his off, but he couldn't get the son's off. And he had to make a horrendous choice. He was able to swim to shore or stay with the son. The pilot said the last he saw of the father and son, the dad was clinging to the son as they were swept out to sea. I want you to know that's exactly the perfect illustration for how your father feels about you. He is clinging to you regardless of the circumstances in your life. He loves you. He is committed to you. God cares so desperately for you. He has decided to send the ultimate gift, his son Jesus, paying the ultimate price, holding on to you regardless of the cost so that you would be okay. You know, I think I found maybe the most unorthodox Christmas story scripture ever. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The Bible says they were three Hebrews who were taken into captivity in Babylon and they were put under the authority of a wicked king named Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar had a massive ego and this is what he decided. I want everyone to worship me like I was God. These three young men had made a decision though. They were not going to worship anyone except the true king. The Bible says Nebuchadnezzar built a fire and it was so hot that if you even got close to it, it would kill you. And he threatened these three Hebrews, if you do not bow down and worship me, I'm going to throw you into this fire. And here's what they say. We believe that our God is able to rescue us from your hand, but even if he doesn't, we are not going to bow down and serve you. Nebuchadnezzar went into a rage. The Bible says he took the three, had them thrown into the fire, and after a few minutes he looked into the fire, and the Bible records this. He said, didn't we throw three into the fire? And his servants answered him, yes. And he said, then how come I see four men And the fourth one looks like the Son of God. I think it's the perfect scripture for what I'm trying to teach right now. The Bible never promises that we're not going to go through the fire. The Bible never promises that we're not going to go through difficulty. It just promises that God will never leave you or forsake you regardless of the fire. He will be with you. You know, I wrote in my notes, John, when you close this, don't shrink back. It is easy for me on big services like this to think in terms of It's a party because we have a lot of invited guests as opposed to it's an opportunity for people to find the mercy and grace of God. And I decided I wanted you to know I'm not trying to get you to join our church, get religion, or reform yourself. But I do want to know if you need a relationship with Christ. If you're here tonight and you don't know the mercy of God, if you don't have the love of God, if you're not walking in a relationship with your Father, then I want you to know God has designed this entire night for one reason, so that you would know Him. He loves you, He cares for you, and He's paid the ultimate price to cling to you. Like any relationship, reconciliation is a two-party issue. Two people have to be in agreement to be together. God has decided that He is for you and that He loves you. Do you want a relationship with Him? Here's what I'd like you to do right now. I'm going to pray, and I'd like you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and listen to what I have to say. You know, if you're here, I honestly and truthfully, with everything in me, I'm not trying to get you to join church. I'm not trying to get you to reform or to be nice. Here's what I'm trying to say to you in all truthfulness tonight. If you're here and you're not in a relationship with God, He's actually taken the time in this service to stop it to ask you if you want to be reconciled to Him. If you're here tonight and you don't have the mercy of God, if you're here tonight and you're not in relationship and walking with Him, if you say, Pastor, I would like God to forgive me and I would love to be in relationship with Him and I wish you would pray for me tonight, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. As I'm about to pray, if you say, Pastor John, please remember me in your prayers tonight because I need a relationship with him, I want you just to put your hand up in the air right now. I don't care where you are. I'm not going to make you stand. I'm not going to pull you out. I won't embarrass you. I want to pray for you, and you're giving me the opportunity to see who you are. Just put your hand up right now. Say, Pastor, pray for me. I need a relationship with the Father. Sure, I see you. There's many of you. Folks, the truth of the matter is we've had more than 100 people already in the last two services make the same decision. 
I want to do this right now. I would like everyone in this auditorium to pray this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come before you. God, I ask for mercy. I ask that you would run to me and that you would forgive me of my sin. God, I see my need for you. And I thank you that you love me. God, I give myself to you. Come into my life. In Jesus' name. I want you to do me a favor. If you prayed that prayer and it was from the sincerity of your heart, on your way out of the auditorium tonight, you're going to find people standing holding an envelope. And I'd like you to take a moment and grab that envelope as you walk out. If you go, is it really important? I can't even begin to put into words how important it is for you to get that information. Let me put it this way. Last week, Chris and I celebrated our 28th anniversary. 28 years. When we got married in 1983, I didn't go back to my house and she went back to her house and we live our lives and then when we retire, we try to get together and figure it out. We moved in together at that time and every day in order to have a successful relationship, we work on it, we love each other, we grow. The same thing is true with a relationship with God. You don't go back to your house now, wait till you die and then try to figure out a relationship with God in eternity. You work on it every day. You learn how to love. And you learn how to walk with Him. And the information that we have for you is how to have that relationship. And it's going to be the most critical information you could read in the next 24 hours. And I promise you this. If you will take the time to grab that envelope, the person handing it to you will not do anything weird to you. We've trained them to be normal. Super important that you grab that right there. For everyone else, here's what I'd like you to do. If you'd stand to your feet right now, get that candle that you grabbed on your way in. We're going to end our service with the candle lighting right now. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Tom. Jesus, Son of God, so full of grace and truth, the Father, saving world, so wonderful are you. The angels long to see and prophets search to find the glory we have seen revealed. You showed upon the earth, but who would understand? You came into your own, but who would recognize? Your birth was prophesied, for you were the Messiah who came in. The world, light of the world, light of the world. 
light of the world you shine upon us every day you shine Most of you, as I look out, I don't know who you are, but I can tell you why you're here, and that is so you can hear the name of Jesus lifted on high tonight and in this season. May he be the light that brings you joy. May he be the king that brings you salvation. And may he be everything in your life and what you lift up this season. Will you pray with me? God, we lift you up and honor you as a king who sits on high and as a God who has sent a savior to this earth in Jesus Christ. God, we thank you for the birth of our Lord and our savior. We thank you for his death on the cross that we can have salvation. Lord, it is by bringing him to this world and only by bringing him that we can spend forever in heaven with you. And we honor that one event when you sent your son to this earth, which started that for us in our lives, Lord God. We lift you up. We thank you and we honor you, King Jesus, as you sit in your throne this Christmas. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen. Church, before you leave, if tonight... You chose to accept Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. You made the most important decision you've ever made in your entire life. Whether you raised your hand or you just said it as you sat there. And before you leave, we have people in the back with yellow lanterns on who have packets of information they just want to give you. It's going to help explain the next few months of your life and explain the process of what needs to go on, what you just did even. So I 
just say they're not going to do anything weird. Grab the packet, get out of here, go enjoy your Christmas, but grab one of those. If you've made that decision, please grab one of those. For the rest of us, if you could grab, um, take your candles and please drop them off at the tables that you picked them up from. And also remember that our offering boxes are located at the exit as you guys walk out of here. Church, we love you. Bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. Your birth was prophesied For you were the Messiah Who came and walked upon the earth Your glory we have seen The one and only King And now you're living in our hearts Light of the world, light of the world in the world you shine upon us. Light of the world, light of the world, light of the world you shine upon us.